faith in our summer shorts, but I, I'm not so sure I need to teach you because you're the faithful. You got out of the boat with either tropical storm or hurricane Isaac bearing down on us. So I commend your faith, and I'm glad you're here, and God has already rewarded you for your faithfulness, hasn't he? He's invited you into the supernatural of, of feeling his presence and, and being able to glorify his name. We've been talking about firing up our faith. And this is so important because, as we've said each week, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We are here because we want to please God. We are believers because we want him to be pleased with our life, the way that we live in response to our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we know we need to fire up our faith. And so it's very important periodically that we take time to remind ourselves of this. We've talked about what is faith. And faith is God's invitation into the supernatural. Now, now I want to clarify that it's not God's invitation into the sensational. And sometimes we confuse that. We want everything to be sensational. We want to see miracle after miracle. That's what the people in Jesus' day said. Show us a sign. Show us a miracle. Show us something sensational. Like he hadn't already been doing that every day. And sometimes that's what we think when we think the supernatural. But really, the supernatural that we're talking about, although God still does miracles, I'm not discounting that, and sometimes he acts in very sensational ways, more often than not, the supernatural we're talking about is just events and circumstances that when we step back, we say, you know, there is no other explanation for that happening that way or for me to have that idea or make that decision or that opportunity than it's God. It's, it can only be God. There's no way I could have ever done that. There's no way I would have ever thought about that. That is God. And that is that invitation that we experience today. Now, last week we talked about what does faith look like? It's impossible to please God without it. So what does it look like? And last week we saw that it looks like believing when I don't see it, obeying when I don't understand it. Now, now let me just stop a minute. Because as we contemplate these kind of thoughts... A lot of people are thinking, well, yeah, that's just what you pastors experience, or that's just what the people in the Bible experience. That's not for today. Yes, it is. It, it, faith is still active today, and God still rewards faith. You know, talking about obeying when I don't understand it, I, I remember a couple of years ago, one of the men in our church came to me after service, and he said, Pastor, I want you to pray about something with me. And I said, absolutely, what's going on? He said, my boss called me in this week, and he offered me the promotion that I've worked my whole career for. This is the one I've wanted. It's a lot more money. It opens a lot more doors of opportunity for me. He said, it's everything I've been working hard for. It's exactly what I've wanted. And I said, so what's the issue? What's the prayer? And he said, well, I want to make sure that's the right thing to do. And so would you pray? Because if I take this promotion, I'm going to have to move my family to another state. And we love Florida Bible, and we love it here, and we love what the church is doing for our family and, and how we're growing with God. So, so would you pray? And I said, sure, I'll pray. Well, he had a couple weeks to make his decision. A couple weeks later, he came to me, and, and he was smiling. I said, all right, so when you're moving, when you're leaving? And he said, we're not. And I said, what? He said, we prayed about it, and God really impressed upon us that we need to stay right where we're at. He says, honestly, I don't understand it because this is exactly the opportunity I've been looking for. But God said, right now, your family needs to be at Florida Bible. I said, wow, are you sure? He said, yeah, I'm really sure. 
So he stayed. About six months later, he came to me, and he said, Pastor, you remember that job that we prayed about? And I said, yeah. He said, you know what? That entire division got shut down. If I'd have gone, I'd be out of work right now. See, that's the supernatural. He didn't know that. It was everything he had ever wanted. But God knew what was going to happen, and God protected him from being in that situation. We look at persisting when I don't feel like it. Last week after the service, after this service, I, I went up to, uh, to one of our, our, our members and one of, one of the ladies that, that had been here in the church in a long time, and, and she had one of those ear-to-ear smiles, you know, going, but tears in her eyes at the same time. And I said, you know, what's going on? And she, and she shared a story with me. And she said, the message today just resonated so much with, with something that just happened in my life. And I said, really, tell me about it. She said, I have a coworker that I've been witnessing to and praying for for eight years. And that coworker hasn't given me a flick of hope, not, not even a, a snapshot of interest in what I've been talking about. And she said, quite frankly, I had come to the place where I just said, it's not going to happen. And, and so I'm not going to pester her anymore. She said, well, she happened to be uh, waiting on, uh, on, on an evangelist who came in who uses the doctor she works for, and they were talking. And, and she was talking about the, to the evangelist, saying, you know, I, I've been trying to, to get so-and-so to, to, to really come to understanding of who Jesus is and how much he loves her and he died on the cross for her sins and all that. I said, but just nothing, not even a glimpse of hope. She goes, I, I guess it's just not going to happen. The evangelist said, stop right now. I said, don't you stop. See, persisting when I don't feel like it. Gave up all hope. He said, don't you stop. And so ultimately what happened is a couple days later, the friend came to her and said, listen, I want to have lunch with you, and I want you to tell me more about Jesus. Well, as the story ends up, she got to win this person to Christ. She got to lead her coworker friend to Jesus Christ. See, just when Satan was impressing upon her to give up, it was never going to happen, was exactly when God was about to come in and make that heart tender. And an eternal victory was won. And you could just see the supernatural as I, as I talked with her, the joy and, and the excitement that, that filled her, her, her whole presence. See, God still works. Talk about giving when I don't have it. I remember another lady coming up to me uh, after church one day and, and talking about, I had talked a, a lot that, that day about giving and about tithing. And she said, you know, Pastor, i got to tell you, I used to hate it when you preached about tithing. I did. She goes, I used to leave, every time you'd do that, I would leave the service angry with you and say, why does he have to do that? Why can't he just let that between a matter between us and God? Why does he have to teach? And she said, but eventually, over time, God worked in my heart and in my husband's heart, and we decided that we were going to tithe. And mind you, we did not have it to tithe. We did not have 10% to give God. But we decided we were going to get out of the boat, and just on faith, we were going to get out there and start tithing. And so we did. So I got to tell you, now we've been doing it now for, for, for a, a, a while. And she said, this week, everybody in my department at work got laid off. They lost their jobs. Everybody except me. And the boss came to me and said, I don't even know why but there's something in me that tells me that we have to keep you for some reason. We don't really have a job for you. I don't have anything for you to do. But we'll find something for you to do because there's this, there's this something telling me that we're going to need you, and so we're not laying you off. Something. Gee, what a coincidence. Huh? See, that 
is God's response to us getting out of the boat and having faith to walk on the water. It's still in effect today, and God is still working in the lives of believers. Now, what I want to talk about in the time we have remaining today is I want to talk about how now to fire up your faith. Now, understand, faith is not a concept. Faith is an action. Faith is not some kind of theological term. Faith is actual activity in our life. It's getting out of the boat and taking a risk when God calls us to do that. Now, faith is like a physical muscle. If we never exercise our muscles, and I know a lot of us don't go to the gym, but I mean, if we just sat on a couch and watched TV all day long, and that's all we did in our entire life, what would happen to the muscles of our bodies? They would atrophy. They would be of no good. Soon we wouldn't be able to even use them anymore. We'd become a burden to society and our family. Well, faith is a muscle that has to be exercised. And when it is exercised, it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And as our faith muscle gets stronger and stronger and stronger, God is able to use us in increasingly amazing ways. And we increasingly are going to be able to experience in our own lives, not just hear the stories about what God has done in other lives, we'll be able to have those stories in our life. So what I want to do is talk about some things that we can do that exercise that faith muscle. The first thing is burrow deeper into God's word. Burrow deeper into God's word. Look what the Bible says in Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now, I memorized this passage a long time ago, but I memorized it in the King James. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But, but the idea is, and, and the truth is, that as we read God's word, our faith muscle is exercised. Listen, the Bible is not just a book. The Bible is a living organism. And God uses the Bible profoundly to speak to us, to guide us, to fill our mind with thoughts, to challenge us, to exercise our faith. As we read the stories of how others have exercised their faith, we are motivated to exercise our faith. God will use the word to tell you to reach out to somebody while you're reading it. He'll just speak to you and say, all right, now you need to go to so-and-so, or you need to serve in this ministry, or here's the next thing I want you to do. I want you to get out in the boat and do this right now. As we read the Bible, it encourages us. It gives us strength, see? And so one of the ways to exercise our faith muscle is to burrow deeper into the Word of God through our personal Bible study. Don't just read the Bible. Ingest the Bible. Don't just rip through the daily bread for that day's passage. Okay, I read it today. I did my devotion today. Now, what we're talking about is intently studying, reading, ingesting the Word of God. As we do that in our personal Bible study, God will reveal new things. He will bring on new challenges. He will give us the courage to take risks that he has been challenging us to take. Or to not do things we have been contemplating doing. 
God will use his word. You can develop that muscle in small groups, small Bible studies. Right now, Wednesday night, we have three great Bible studies being taught. One by Dr. Tommy Milton, one by Pastor Bob, and one by Sylvia Dill. Three great Bible studies. And if you're a novice to the Bible and you really never read it or studied it much, sometimes it can seem like an alien technical manual to you. Now, that can happen for two reasons. Number one, you just haven't studied it much. And number two, you may not have a user-friendly translation of the Bible. You know, technically, when somebody gets saved, they they run home, they want to start reading the Bible, they hear a message like we're saying today, they'll run home, grab the Bible, and oftentimes that Bible maybe is a King James Bible. Now, I'm not talking against the King James Bible, don't anyone who uses it get upset with me. King James Bible is a great interpretation of the Bible, that's the one I grew up on, that's the one I used all through my my study and my education, and and I, I read it today, most of the verses that I know by memory are King James, but... The King James language for new believers is not friendly because it's a bunch of these and thous and changest not and glorifieth and and it just doesn't read the way we talk today. Now, in 1611, that's how they talk. So people in 1611, they understood it. By the way, if you'd look at a page of the original 1611 King James Bible, you couldn't even read it. English has evolved so much even from that day. I've got one, I know. And, And you look at the thing and you just try to figure out what in the world it's saying. So I recommend that you get a new international version of the Bible or a new American Standard Bible, something that is in more contemporary language so you do understand it. And many Bibles out there today even have explanations on the bottom. You can look at a verse and you say, gee, I don't understand that verse. Look down and it will give an explanation of that verse. And so as you dig deeper in your personal study, And also, in small groups, you will learn how to understand the Word. And others will teach you things about the Word. And we have small group Bible studies here. Also, Christian books. In this day and time, there's absolutely no excuse that anybody could ever give for not burrowing deeper into the Word of God. You can go to a Christian bookstore. There's a great one at 595 and University on the southeast corner where the Home Depot is, Family Life Bookstore. There's another one on Davy Boulevard and 441. There's one out here on Hollywood Boulevard across from the police station, out in Hollywood. There's great Christian bookstores all over the place. And in those books, there's Authors have written books on every human subject, every human challenge, every human trial. There's everything that you could possibly need right there to to read and study alongside the Bible. And it's important not only what you read, but what author you're reading. And it's important that you cross-reference that with the actual Bible, because sometimes authors take things out of context. And they, they, they write things that really aren't true. If you, if you need some suggestions on some books to read, you can come to any of the pastors here, and we will help you to find a book that deals with what you're wanting to, to study right now. But there's all kinds of opportunities out there, and you can learn from people who have studied God's words, and, and most of the authors are pastors or, or people who have been through Bible college and seminary, and, and so they have extensive knowledge of, of how to study the Bible, and they'll help you to learn how to do that. But every time you do it, you build your strength. There's also TV and radio broadcasts. Uh, I frequently turn the TV on and listen to, to a great pastor preach a message because I need to be fed too. And I need to have that personal time in God's word to where I am studying it for my own relationship with God. And so God can use it to reveal things and challenge me instead of me just studying to prepare lessons to share with you. There's a big difference. 
But one of the ways we exercise that faith muscle is to get deeper into God's Word, to burrow deeper. And there's all kinds of opportunities and assistance to help you to do that. Another thing I want to encourage you to do is utilize memorials. A great biblical account in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Israel, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because of a lack of faith, after having come in out of Egypt, you remember the story, God had it all ready for them to go into the promised land, but they didn't believe they could do it, and so God said that no one from that generation who had not exercised faith in what God had commanded them to do would ever go into the promised land. So the whole generation died out, took 40 years. Now, though, they're ready to go. God's ready to take them into the land again. Now, instead of Moses as the leader, Joshua is their leader. Joshua was one of the 12 spies that came back. He and Caleb, in the original time when they went and scouted out the land, said, it's ready, let's just go. But no one would listen to them. So now Joshua's going to lead them in. But before going in, Joshua requests one representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to meet with him. And Israel, or in Joshua chapter 4, it talks about that meeting. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of Israel, to serve as a sign among you. So Joshua says this, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're about ready to go into the promised land. God is going to allow us to reconquer our land. And you had the whole movement. You had the whole entrance into the land. You go before the ark of the covenant that is going to lead all the people in and the army into the land, and you're going to go across the Jordan on dry land. Just as God parted the Red Sea coming out of Egypt, he parted the Jordan so that the Israelites could march on dry land into their land to reconquer it. He said, now you 12 guys, when you get to the middle of that river, the water will be gone. Each of you take a large stone and put it on your shoulder and carry it across to the promised land. Now, why is he doing it? It's supposed to be a sign goes on to say, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. Now look what it says. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. In other words, he says this. You guys take those 12 stones, one represented from each of the 12 tribes, and you put them in a pile on the other side of the Jordan. In future years, when children see that pile of rocks and they say, what is, what, what's this pile of rocks doing here? You are to tell them and remind them that this rock, this place, is the place that God, the omnipotent God Jehovah, who is our God and who we serve, this is the place that he parted the waters of the Jordan and allowed us victoriously to cross on dry land and to reconquer our land. He says, you tell them. See, it was a memorial of what God had displayed, of the supernatural God had accomplished in the nation of Israel. Can you imagine, generation after generation, when they actually did this, the wide eyes of the children saying, really? God couldn't do that? God did that? See, it was a memorial of the omnipotence of God. Now, remember, on the, on the other hand, in Matthew when Jesus fed the 5,000, 5,000 men plus children, you remember that occasion? He had taught all day, and, and now the people were hungry, and so he said to the disciples, they're hungry. You feed them before they, they, they disperse. And the disciple says, are, you know, basically in today's language, are you crazy? Are you nuts? All we have here, we have a, a couple of loaves of bread, and we have five fish. That's all we have. How are we going to feed all these people? 
And remember, Jesus took those and he gave thanks. And Jesus miraculously broke those pieces and everyone got fed that day. And all the disciples collected all the extras and each of them had a heaping plate of food. God had displayed his power through Jesus Christ. A couple chapters later in Matthew, they're confronted with the identical situation, only this time it's only 4,000 men plus women and children. Much smaller crowd to deal with. Same thing happens. Jesus said, go ahead and feed them. And the disciples say the same thing. How are we going to feed all these people? All we have is a couple fish and we got a couple... See, they had totally forgotten the supernatural that God had already done through Jesus Christ. Now, it would be easy to condemn them if we didn't do the same thing. Every day. God has worked in our lives. In those times, we have been faithful enough to get out of the boat. God has demonstrated himself and his power in our lives and his ability to take us through circumstances and his ability to use us in amazing ways. And yet the next time a trial comes or the next time the Holy Spirit prompts us to, to, to reach out and, and, and to perform an act of faith, what happens? Oh, how am I going to do that? I can't do that. I don't have... See, we need the same thing that Israel needed. We need memorials. Let me encourage you to get a journal. Now, if you want a really nice fancy one, you can go to a stationery store or Office Max and you can get a really nice leather-bound one and, and have it all pretty and all that. Or you can go down to the drugstore and get a spiral notebook. doesn't matter. What matters is recording, journaling your faith experiences or the faith experience of others that you have witnessed. And see, what happens is you build memorials. And periodically, you can take that journal, and you can read, and you can remind yourselves of how God does work and how he has worked, not just in the lives of others, but in your life. And the next time a trial comes, you can take that journal and start reading it, and you'll remind yourself that God has been there for you before, and God will be there for you again. And see, that exercise, that faith muscle, I'm not going to panic this time. I remember last time I panicked. There was no need to panic because God had it all under control. And now I'm not going to panic this time. I'm going to exercise my faith. I remember when God challenged me to do something before, I was scared to death to do it. I didn't want any part of it, but I went ahead and acted on faith. And what an amazing experience it was. It was right here. I remember my feelings because they're right here. I recorded how I felt and, and, and how God's presence was strong in my life. And see, that memorial, that journal, will build that faith muscle so that you're not afraid to use it next time. Imitate the faithful is another way to exercise that faith muscle. This is especially true if you're new to Christ. If, if you've just recently trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're, you're kind of figuring all this out, or maybe you might have trusted Christ many years ago, but you never developed your spiritual person, and now you're starting to do that. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, I want to to put a disclaimer here. What the Bible is not challenging you to do is to put leaders on a pedestal. That's not what it's saying. And, and so many people do that. Whether it's a pastor or an Awana club leader or a Bible study leader or, 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 or some, just some dynamic believer in your life and you put them on a pedestal. Don't do that. Because every leader is just a normal human being and susceptible to making wrong decisions and doing wrong things. And, and if you put all your confidence in them and put them on a, on a pedestal and they have a fall, then it's going to destroy your faith. It's going to work against you. 
What you're doing is you're imitating their faithful discipline. Say, you know what? They go to church every week. And I've only been coming to church every now and then, once a month, once every other month. I, I need to, if I really want to get faithful and build that faith muscle, I need to be in church every week. Or you notice that they do study their Bible. You, you look at their Bible, and their Bible's all frayed, and it's all marked up, and it's highlighted, and there's lines, and there's notes all over the place. And you say, you know what? They really do study their Bible. They don't just read it. I, I need to study my Bible. I'm going to imitate that. And you note that they pray and that they serve in a ministry. You know, they're active in church. They're serving in a ministry. I need to do that. And see, you imitate the things, the activities of faith that they do, and then God begins to reward your faithfulness, and you build your own memories to put in that journal. Direct observation of them. What do they do? What don't they do? What do I need to imitate? as they serve Jesus Christ. It can be serving alongside them, getting in a ministry that they serve in, and and experiencing their faith, experiencing how they worship God and how they serve God. It can be in a mentoring relationship. Maybe you really have somebody that you admire and, and, and you really want them to help you in your Christian growth. And you may go to them and say, listen, would you consider being a mentoring partner for me? I'm trying to figure my way through this, and I'm trying to get to the next level in my, my experience in my Christian life, and, and I just really need somebody to help me and, and to train me. Would you be that person? And many times they'll say, sure, I'd, I'd love to help you. And, and you have a call, a telephone call once a week, or, or maybe you meet together for coffee once a month. Another area is having an accountability partner. You're really struggling with some area of your life that's holding you back from exercising your faith, and you need someone to hold you accountable. Well, you can find an accountability partner that will help hold you accountable. Now, you've got to be real careful with mentors and accountability partners, or you're going to find all of your garbage on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. You've got to make sure they are people who will hold confidences. You need to establish that up front. But they can help you. You get some stinking thinking going, and you pick up the phone and say, listen, I've got some stinking thinking going, and, and, and I, need, I need accountability right now. See, that's why the Bible says, confess your sins to each other that you may be healed. See, it's the things that we hold secret that often have the most power over us. But when we have an accountability partner and we can share that with them in a safe place, it exercises our faith and we build our faith. Learn to listen. This is such an important exercise in faith. Learn to listen. Say, listen to what? Not listen to what, listen to whom? The Bible says in Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, now if you're a woman, it's talking to you too. What the Bible's talking to is any man or a woman here who has trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. So if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been adopted by God into his family, you're now a family member. So as, because you are his sons, because you're his daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. The moment we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, remember we looked at last week, the Bible says, book of 2 Corinthians, that we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Remember that? That new that has come, in large part, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And again, it gives us the right to address God as Abba. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. 
Instead of, oh God, the omnipotent, the omniscient, omnipresent God, oh God of Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Abraham. It's not, it's daddy. See, a much more intimate relationship has been established between you and God. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that that relationship exists. See, the Holy Spirit becomes a voice within us, a powerful resource in our faith experience. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. See, that spirit will speak to you. It's not mystical, it's not an audible voice, but it is a very strong presence. The Bible says, Jesus said in John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, remember the spirit wasn't in the world the way it is today until after Jesus died and was resurrected and later came into the world. So Jesus said he's not here yet, but when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now he's here now. And when we trust Christ, he's in us. And he says that spirit will guide us in all truth. It will help us to understand the Bible as we read it. It will help us to imitate the faithful. It will help us to exercise our faith muscle. Now look what it says. He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will not speak on his own. He's just not going to randomly say things to you. It says, but he will speak only what he hears. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a conduit. The Holy Spirit is a communication tool used by whom? God. God the Father will speak to the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit speak to you. So when God wants to challenge you with a new faith opportunity, when he's given you a new invitation into the supernatural, it'll be the Holy Spirit who challenges you, but it will be God the Father who is actually challenging you. But this voice will speak to you, will guide you, will protect you, will challenge you, will encourage you, will embolden you. But you need to recognize that it is the voice of God and not just something you ate or not something you just dismissed. Oh, that was a crazy thought. Why did I think that? You need to learn to trust and listen to that voice. I know that voice. I'm here to tell you, I know that voice. Now, I wish I could stand up here and I could tell you that I always listen and obey that voice. I wish that were true. But there are times in my life, just like there's times in your life when I get distracted by other things and and I'm not tuned in, I'm not listening. And even though the voice is there, I'm not hearing it because I'm not listening. But I know times in my life when I have. And I have learned to recognize that voice. And I have learned the power of that voice. Of that presence. Sometimes it's as simple as getting in the car and putting it in reverse and starting to pull out of the driveway. And that voice says, stop. Stop. Shut the car off. Go back in the house. And I've done that to discover that a burner was left on or a door was left open, or something was left that that could have caused damage to the house and could have impacted our lives very negatively. I've experienced it in more dramatic ways. 
I remember a Friday afternoon, I was sitting in my office, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine who was a pilot. And he said, listen, I just bought a brand new airplane. He said, it's a two-engine plane. He said, it's unbelievable. I had flown with him on uh, other occasions, and great pilot, and he was a pilot instructor. And he says, listen, I'm, Monday, I'm going to fly up to North Carolina. I'm going to have lunch with my parents, and I'm going to fly back the same day. I want you to come with me. Come on with me. We'll fly together. I said, oh, man, two-engine plane. This is going to be so cool. But then I thought, you said, wait a minute, I have an elders meeting Monday night. So I told him, I said, I can't. I got an elders meeting. It starts at 6 o'clock. He said, don't worry about it. I'll have you back in plenty of time. I'll have you back by 3 o'clock, no later than 4 o'clock. You'll be back in plenty of time for this. I want you to be in this plane with me. He said, and I'm going to let you fly it. I'm going to fly it. Oh, man. I'm going to fly a two-engine plane. Wow. But that voice inside me just swelled up and said, now you know how quick a storm can come into this southern Florida in this time of year, and that plane could not get here, and you're going to miss that meeting. You can't miss that meeting. And then I thought, well, he said he'll get me back in time. So I'm wrestling back and forth, and we're talking back and forth on the phone, but that voice is just saying no. And finally I just said, all right, no, I can't go. I was really disappointed. Monday, took off, flew, had lunch with his parents. And he took off the flyback, and on takeoff flying back, he crashed, and he was killed. And the person who was in that airplane who took the invitation that I had turned down was killed also. Had I not listened to that voice, I would not be here today. Had I not listened to that voice, I would have perished in that airplane. See, that voice will guide us that voice will protect us. That voice will empower us and embolden us. And it's not unique to me. It's the voice that is in every single believer in Jesus Christ. It's in you. But you need to learn to listen. And the evidence that you really are listening is that you will dare to do. See, all this faith is exciting. And we can hear the stories of, of how faith experience has turned out in other lives. And we can even remember how a couple of them ha have turned out in our lives. But listen, eventually, when prompted by God through the Holy Spirit or through his word or through, through maybe another believer, eventually we've got to pull the trigger. Eventually, we've got to get out of the boat. See, James says in James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Read it with me. Do what it says. Now, that's not just in obeying the commands of God. That's in obeying the voice of God as you read the word of God. James 2.14 and verse 17 says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? I have faith. I believe in you, Jesus. I know what you can do. Oh, how great thou art. And yet we're never getting out of the boat. We're never responding to the challenge to do something new. We're never accepting the invitation into the supernatural. Verse 17 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what, church? It's dead. That means it's no good to you, it's no good to God, and it's no good to others. God wants to use your life to impact. See, sooner or later, 
We've got to dare to do. Fire up your faith. Exercise that muscle. And it will become stronger and stronger and stronger. And you will discover God in new ways that you never imagined. And you will see him working in your life in ways that you never thought could happen. Fire up your faith. Burrow deeper into God's word. Utilize memorials. Imitate the faithful. Learn to listen and dare to do, remembering that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let's bow our heads. Right now, what has God been challenging you with? Maybe God has been challenging you to reconcile a relationship. And that voice has been talking to you, but you don't see any way that relationship could ever be reconciled. Well, no, you probably don't. That's why God is challenging you to reach out in faith so that he can show you what can be done. Maybe he's been calling you to serve in a ministry. And you felt strongly that, that he's been challenging, but you've, you've dismissed it and you said, oh, that's a crazy idea. I, I can't serve in that ministry. I, I don't have time or I don't have what, what it takes to serve in that ministry or whatever. But, but that voice has been there. See, of course, God is always going to challenge us with things we can't do or we don't think we can do. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a faith experience. Maybe God has been challenging you to tithe, to give that 10% to trust him. Maybe God has been challenging you in, I don't know, a hundred different areas. Even right now, you hear the voice. The million-dollar question is, will you dare to do? Maybe you're here today, and on a day like today, it would be more typical that everybody who came today, because of the approaching storm, is a believer. And the unchurched and the unbelievers probably wouldn't come on a day like today, but, but maybe you came with somebody, and you're a man, you're a woman here today, and you've never taken the first act of faith. You've never accepted God's first invitation, and that invitation is to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You're still living like the vast majority of the world is living who have any kind of belief in God, and your religious strategy is that somehow you're going to live a good enough life that God is going to let you into heaven. Well, my friend, can I be lovingly honest with you and tell you that's not going to happen? In fact, the Bible, God's word, expressly says it doesn't happen that way. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It goes on to say, it's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. See, the only way to God, the only way to forgiveness is through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus, who did live a perfect life, was the only worthy sacrifice for sin. And Jesus, who was the only worthy sacrifice for sin, willingly died on the cross. And because he did that, God has given him alone the authority to forgive sin. That's why Jesus could could boldly declare in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're here today and you've never taken that first act of faith, I have to believe right now that voice, that presence of the Spirit of God is calling you to do that.
Will you reach out in faith? Will you get out of the boat of hoping and trusting in your own goodness and just trust Jesus and just pray, Jesus, I'm not going to live my life on my own strength anymore. I believe you died on the cross for sin. And I believe you are the only worthy sacrifice for sin. And therefore, God has given you alone the authority to forgive my sin. So Jesus, today, as best that I understand it, I am turning my soul over to you. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for eternal life. Jesus, forgive my sin. Jesus, be my Savior. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Father, I pray for these wonderful men and women here today who have already exercised faith in coming on this very inclement weather weekend. Lord, I pray that you will help us to exercise that faith muscle so that we can be used by you to do things we could never imagine, so that we can arrive in heaven ready to receive rewards that we could never imagine. God, use us. Fire up our faith. Use us for your glory. Make us men and women who have an impact in this world. God, show us more of yourself than you've ever shown before. And Lord, help us right now to have the courage to surrender whatever it is that you're calling us to. Help us to dare to do for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.